Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, it's so good to have you with us for the program this week. This week's program is primarily going to be a message preached in 2002 by Pastor Butch Vieter called Joined Unto the Lord. We're in 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 6. I have a chance because of the circles that I move in sometimes. I move in different circles, so do you. Because I live in a physical body in a material universe, I have habits and I have a geographical location and the world is turning in circles, I move in circles. There is no way to avoid it. And we have habits. And I move in certain circles where people have a problem with my doctrine of ascendancy. I have, we have, as well as other people, a a God that we feel transcends time and space. He's above it, he's under it, he's before it, he's after it. We have, a doc- we have doctrines of transcendency. Our God is transcendent. That annoys people. But I hear the same people talking about faith. And I believe that faith is the realm of angels. That are under strict orders. Angels do not act or interact with us because they feel like it or they like us or they do not like us. Angels do what they're told. Why did this thing happen? Because angels either caused it or did not choose to prevent it because they were not under orders to do so. And if we could take away the veil of time and space and see that which is eternal on a daily basis, we would see the angels as observers and it would be very, very interesting. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, one verse, it says this, it says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us. And I just sense tonight, Father, that you want to give us clarity of thinking so that we can appreciate splendor and size of your kingdom and that you are definitely omnipotent and the arm of the Lord is not shortened that you cannot save we ask you to help us tonight and quicken us according to your word and help me as well in Jesus name amen he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit he that is joined Greek word kuleo k-o-o-l-a-o kuleo The word we use for cool comes from the Greek word joint. It means glued. Glued. When I was in Japan, I went to some uh, shops of antiquity. And there there are still in Tokyo a couple of shops left where you can bring armor. Practice armor and real armor. And there are men who were trained by their ancient grandfathers to repair armor. And you see weapons, old, old weapons, relics that family hang, the families hang in the roll. Much like we, will, we would hang a rifle, some New England families have a black powder rifle from their great-great-grandfather who was in the Civil War or the Second War with England, the War of 18. 
uh, the early 1800s, and you see these relics. And it's surprising how that some of these things are held together with glue. Um, I was handling swords from the Tokugawa shogunate at a man's house in uh, Maryland who is a global antique hunter, which is dangerous business because you can be robbed and murdered for your antiques. A very quiet little Greek guy. And he had a sword from the Tokugawa shogunate. And the handle was made out of very simple wood. And all the braiding on it was glued onto it. It was still holding strong. This is incredible. I mean, you can't keep, you can't have almonds stick 50 years. Yet these ancient peoples of the world were able to take a glue. Now this glue is 900 years old. And here I'm holding this sword and, and the handle is glued together with glue that's good for 800 years. Now, there's not a guy in here or a woman who's ever used glue that wouldn't like to have some of that glue. And you always ask, how is this glue made? They say, out of vegetables. Vegetables? You mean you can make glue out of vegetables that last 1,200 years? 800 years, rather? Yes, yes, yes. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He that is glued to God has become one spirit. Now, if we look at the last 20 centuries of the church, that has not been the experience. People cannot confess that for the last 2,000 years. They haven't felt glued in any way to God. That the, even the fruit of the Spirit is something foreign to them. Hey, I'm included in this. I'm not indicting you. But if you're being indicted, enjoy it. <laughs> We're going to hopefully learn something. Now... He that is glued unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, we are glued. Our human spirit is glued to his spirit. Now, this is, this is happening umbilically. We are umbilically joined to the Holy Spirit like an infant is joined to its mother with its umbilical cord. When Adam and Eve fell, that relationship was severed. And then when we received Jesus Christ, we were re-umbilically connected to God. Now this is happening in real time. The real God that lives now, who is thinking right now, we can actually share his right now thought towards me, directed at the capacity I possess now, not what I should have. You look at some poor slob in a church that's been there 20 years, you cannot legislate their capacity. Their capacity is what it is. Whether they're spiritually retarded or have the spiritual capacity of an infant or they are a little son or they are a mature, uh, a mature son, a weos. That's someone who's ready to pull out his sword, defend the property, spend his father's money. He's in business with the father. It's, it's, it's kind of like when you see... A company go by and it says, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like say O'Hara Construction, O'Hara and Sons Construction. That son pulls up to the job. He doesn't need daddy to wipe his nose. He, he says, I want the footing over here. I want to snap a line along here. I just want to look at, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's part of the company and he has money. Like his father, he drives a fancy turbocharged truck with a power stroke diesel and he's not fooling around. He's got the best equipment. 
He's not the little kid in the back seat. Wait, my son's in the back. But you know what? An infant in a baby seat in the back seat of that truck might have the full authority of being a full-fledged member of that family, but not have it together yet. And most of Christianity is right there. They're in a baby seat their whole life. They never get to play with the equipment and, and, and really use a tool. Because this, the fact that they're completely joined to God doesn't dawn in their soul because they're predisposed to distractions uh, that, bring, that raise questions that they do, are not even intending to settle in this lifetime. That they're insulated from their destiny because they're too, their souls so twisted up with the, uh, the, the questions that were raised in their adolescence, they, they're not able to answer the bell and really fight the good fight. Part of the adventure of Jesus is doing battle with your own, um, the bent of your own soul. Now, my soul is joined to the Lord volitionally, not umbilically. It's not an organic union. My soul will be joined to the Lord when volitionally it feels like it. Or thinks that. Very few people can think it and do it without feeling it. And this is why when you're having trouble with your emotions... Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and wants like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. Yes, in 1 Corinthians six, seventeen. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Amazing, really, isn't it? That we are joined to God. That God, in his plan, went about in such a way that even though we were separated from him, that he would join us together with him, taking our sin out of the way and sealing us with his spirit. So the second part of this message is, is talking about depravity and the separation of man. But there is a way that we can not only have that unity with God, but also experience that unity and live in a lifestyle of being one and joined to God. And Solomon, about the human condition... If you read and you know that. There's the biggest commentaries in the Old Testament. Jeremiah throws people for loops. He could really write. He was really sensitive man. He was like, he was not with, he wasn't David, but he was a guy that had David's sensitivity about the character and nature of God and the depravity of man. He was probably a nut himself. Then we go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And the Greek word there is ekta. I have a crazy friend named Tasso. He's a, a mad Greek man. He looks like um, Yul Brenner and the King and I. He's kind of this handsome, nasty... He looks like Satan's uncle or something. He's got a big furry mustache and his head is shiny bald. And my wife will tell you he's a regular barbarian. They could cast him and um, he could be Genghis Khan, this guy. And like my son Matthew remembers one day he took out a razor sharp short sword and he was like... Cutting his head, he was like rubbing on his head and cutting off some hairs he felt in his head with it. And Matt was waiting for him to go, achoo, and cut his hair off. But he didn't. This is how crazy he is. When you talk about Turkish people, to him it's Ekta. I kill him. He loves to say, I kill him. 
You say, Henry Kissinger, do you like him? I kid him. Because he is not the enemy like Boston against Boston Celtics against the L.A. Lakers enemy. I'm talking the enemy whose throat I cut and I bury him because I don't want anyone to know I killed him. I want to, want to miss him and make pain. The carnal mind is at enmity against God. Your na natural makeup is the enemy of God. Now, think of this. You've got a, you've got a nature that hates God in you, then you have a nature that's God. I want you to run that over in your logic process. Is, is, is this enough cause that you and I would be, have schizophrenic outbursts? There are believers, as soon as they become inconsistent, they just leave God. That means they're getting closer to God, not that they're getting further from God. I mean, you get these lunatics in churches that believe all this bizarre and twisted stuff about God. They have total unity. Of course they do. Their old nations all hate God, and any deception gets them further from God. The closer you get to God experientially and theologically, the more volatile these two forces become towards one another in reality, because your, your human spirit is real-time, actual nature of God, and your old nature is irritated for you to be that close to God does not want to submit to God. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. So we have to learn to deal with the contradiction in us and be able to rebound. Now God's got his perfect, permissive, and determined will. Now his perfect will has to do with grace, resurrection, and your predestiny, this awesome, crazy adventure you're going to live. How could anyone guess that when I was sitting on the front steps of a porch in the housing projects, along with my other pathetic little friends with our thumbs sticking out of the side of our sneakers, that I would end up living in Australia where only the wealthy people live and hanging out in Lebanese coffee shops in between Solon and Runs and chilling in Australia. Now, all the kids that sat in that porch with me they all either went to Walpole, became gay priests, or, or, or maybe they were locked out and became a cop. For either dead gangsters, cops, or, or gay priests or something. They all, everything went bad for them. But here I am, probably the worst of the worst. I'm in Australia serving God with my beautiful wife and my curly-haired kid in the back there. Hanging out on the beach, meeting Americans, going, uh, what, what, what type of um, exclusion fare did you get coming here? Uh, what hotel are you staying in? Where, what's, what's a good restaurant? They're asking me all these tourist questions. I said, well, I live here. I said, you live here? My God, it must cost you a fortune. How much does it cost you? I said, I don't even know. You don't know? No, I don't know. Do you work for a company here? Yes, covertly, kind of, so to speak. I'm working with a nonprofit corp back in America, and I can't tell you the name. Why can't you? Because I'm really stretching my visa out here, and I don't want anyone to know I'm here. Really? Now, what do they pay you a month? I said, they don't pay me. Where does your money come from? I don't know. I don't take offerings. So what do you hear? I'm a missionary, but this is a Christian nation. I know. Want to get a cappuccino? Yeah, come on. I get the best place. In the, the guy's my buddy. Now, how, how can that be so? Because I was walking at my predestiny, an adventure. 
But God's promised to give me what I don't deserve and have not earned. That uh, if I'm willing to leave to do the geographical jumps that God drags me through, he will give me houses and lands and friends and like that and take care of me, but with persecution. Does my flesh want any part of that? No. No. My flesh is like a pigeon looking for a nest or a bunny looking for a hole in the ground. My flesh wants a nest. But my spirit wants to fly away, leave the nest, and go for it. This is a problem. Now, God's perfect will has a huge problem in me. I am determined not to live in it. My old nature is determined to wreck my destiny. My old nature is determined to wreck my destiny. Greek word pro-orizo, predestiny. You have, the word pro-orizo means before determined. You have a before determined adventure lying before you. You say, well, I have a diminished capacity because I'm damaged goods. Look at the people, the heroes in the Bible. They're all lunatics and vagabonds and whacked out people. You don't find normal people doing great things for God. Jesus' great, great, great grandmother was a hooker. How did she get from having her testimony in the only eternal book God wrote? And her great-great-grandson is Messiah. How can that happen? Because God does what he wants and he doesn't ask anyone's permission. You say, well, I'm finished. I'm toast, Pastor. My life is over. Well, that's your flesh. Your flesh is entitled to say that. And as far as your flesh is concerned, that's true for all of us. You know, most guys, you get them the sports channel and the stuff cheer. Their life's over. Forget about it. Especially if they have some bennies at work. God's permissive will has to do with mercy. And that's where the churches lived for 20 centuries. That's where 990, some I believe, is out of a thousand live. That's been the New Testament history. It is not going to change, but I want to be in the small percentage group that can escape the gravity and pull of my own makeup that is at enmity against God. Church attendance and doing Christian works has not accomplished what the church was called to do. The church does not evangelize the world. It does not love itself or anyone in it. It doesn't love anyone outside of it. The percentage of ministries that believe in the grace of God and uh, have the theology basically correct and going into all the world is less than 1% of 1%. I mean, you got 100 of the church going out there. Do I say this to discourage you? No, but to say that this is a mystery and if you have failed, that doesn't mean that, that you are some kind of freak because you have failed. You will fail and continue to fail and I will too. God's determined will, on the other hand, is completely irresistible. God's will is irresistible. How did Paul become the messenger of eternity to bring eternity down in the form of uh, grace? Because every angel on the planet knew that he was the most wicked man on earth. Who's the most wicked person on earth? 
At that time, it was Paul. If I'm a father and I have a big family, and some man sneaks while I'm away into my house and starts murdering my kids, who's the most wicked man on the planet? That guy. What am I going to do to him? I'm going to cut him into sushi. Who is the man killing, going into God's house and stealing his children away and torturing and murdering them in public? It was Paul. All the, all the righteous angels and all the uh, righteous angels, every righteous angel, all the good angels and all the bad angels knew who the worst dude in the whole world was. It was this little weasel Paul who was going into God's church, stealing his children, torturing and murdering them in, fr- in front of people in public and also as a display to the righteous angels that they didn't fear God and the uh, unrighteous angels how great this was that Satan's plan was to see. The most wicked man on earth was Paul. He was also the most self-righteous. He thought he was so good before God, he was entitled and he had a license to kill like James Bond. He was, God was determined that this wicked little snot was going to bring a revelation of eternity. You know why? Because there wasn't one thing in him that was worth anything. He was a piece of trash. A religious piece of trash. He was like the Pharisees that Christ whacked. He didn't snap the whip like the movie. Jesus wasn't afraid of anybody. He was the most wicked little religious weasel on the planet. That qualified him more than anyone on the planet to represent the grace of God. And that in itself is like a ten-week meditation. You can think about that for a couple of months. How could the most wicked man on earth, biggest weasel on earth, how could the fact that he was such an en- the worst enemy God had in the whole planet, Paul was a perfect representation of your flesh. The carnal mind is that enmity with God and would murder God. Uh, people collectively murdered Jesus, but Paul took it upon himself to go to the places where God was busting out and kill the very agents of resur- that were revealing God's resurrection. And he was the most qualified guy in the world to show what God was all about. And it was the show to the angels. More than men. Men didn't understand why, why Paul. No one can understand that. The church was terrified. How can this guy, the guy who's killing us, now be leading us? This is insane. Angels knew all about it. They said, this is a revolution that is eternal. How can the most wicked man we've been watching on earth now be God's direct agent of revelation? The angels were freaking out. The unrighteous angels were freaking out, and the righteous angels were freaking out. Here is Paul doing the exact thing that the devil's asking him to do, and he's doing it halfway, thinking he's doing a great job. Now, And all the righteous angels are watching this little horror show, this little religious mental case, murdering God's children, and just holding their heads like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden, he becomes the man, the main man. How can this be? The angels, was, the righteous angels and unrighteous angels are all scratching their heads. This must be a revolution. And it ushered in a completely different dispensation. If that's true of Paul, then I don't care how bad you've been, you are not as wicked as Paul and you never will be. You don't have enough religious training to get that evil. It takes a lot of religious training to get truly evil. Ask um, um, Osama bin Laden or, or any of the other freaks that study Islam. Too much of the wrong religious training, you can become a real killer. Not just someone 
popping people at 7-Eleven. You can gas whole peoples like the Kurdish people, the Turks and, and the Iranians and the Iraqis are all murdering the, the poor Kurds for centuries, which are probably the direct descendants of Abraham. Well, what does this mean? I was going to go and read mine, we don't have the time, but what's the answer to all this complicated theological stuff we're throwing around? Read mine. You know what? You get a little bent out of shape, stop moving in strange orbits in your mind, just read mine. You are joined to him, not because you deserve to be joined, but because he's adopted you and now you're their kid. When you were a kid, if they only fed you when you deserved to be fed, you would have starved to death when you were a little kid. You were fed because you belong, not because you were good. I'm going to heaven not because I'm good, but because I belong. My, na- my name tag at the seven-year party has already been printed because I belong there, not because I'm good. So rebound becomes, rebound is our reality check. I've had Christians come to me for counsel and they start telling me all these sins that have busted out in their life. They're all shocked because it's their first outburst. By the time you hit your second or third outburst of stupidity, you start realizing, I just got to learn to rebound. Dr. Stevens had a bunch of this last thing I'm going to say. I was in the middle of nowhere and we went to Dunkin' Donuts, me and my buddies, when I was going to Bible college. We're sitting there at the counter and then watch Dr. Stevens all by himself. He did some visitation. And he was getting, a, he loves coffee and he used to like donuts, he can't eat them anymore. And someone said, check it out, man, that's Dr. Stevens. So we're looking at him, waiting for him to acknowledge us. And, you know, Pastor's kind of, you know, he's like a mystic. He's, uh, he sees us. And we go, hey, Pastor. He comes over and he sits with us. You know, kids told him the problem. I didn't tell him anything. I didn't want to know my weaknesses. And um, he says, you know, I'm as bad as all you boys. He says, but one thing I know, I know how to rebound. And that's something you've got to take serious when it's tied to a Bible college because it's going to save your life and make you a great man someday. And my friends, as soon as you walked away, started talking about baseball and all that. And I was thinking about that. Because I personally, amongst the, that group of guys, I felt like the most wicked guy of the group. Because I was with these nice guys. And I thought, I'm the evil one here. Hmm. This rebound stuff, maybe there's something to that. So I started paying attention whenever I was taught about rebound. And getting a little thing here and a little thing there. And you know what? It didn't make it easier for me to rebound. But at least I know the way. It's not that I travel that road more than everyone else. But I know what it is. Never be shocked by the fact that your behavior seems to betray who you are in Christ. God doesn't want to push you in the corner and make you feel miserable. He wants you to come to Him because He's after fellowship. He loves you a lot. He wants to spend time with you. And the inordinate value He puts on your soul is because it's the only place He can spend time with you. And He wants to, at all costs, spend as much time with you as He possibly can. And that's the truth. Let's pray. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. So rebound is an incredibly important doctrine. There's much to say about it and read about it. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We keep that verse we in the forefront of our mind and in the context of that message, knowing the depravity of man, knowing the great lengths that God has gone to join him 
self to us and us to him in a unity that's unbreakable and that we, through our volition, mix faith with the word of God, the promises of God, through fellowship and song and all the things that accompany a church life, a mission life, body life, continually remind us and help us to stay in that fellowship where we experience being joined to God along beyond the theological aspect of it, which at the moment of our salvation we were joined to him, and that God would complete the work that he started in us and one day take us home to be with himself, this corruptible putting on incorruptible. We are, we will be fully sanctified one day, but to live in it day by day. Now, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, this first initial step, you won't have anything to rebound back to without being joined to God through the sacrifice of his Son, that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse you of all unrighteousness, that God would translate you from one kingdom into the kingdom of his dear Son. If you would reckon on the fact that Jesus died, was buried, that he rose from the grave, also that you could be united with him. God desires to have great fellowship with you. The only place he can have it is within your spirit. Your spirit will come alive when you receive Christ as your Savior. Your soul, your soul will have a destination of heaven. Your body will one day be redeemed. Receiving Jesus means that death no longer has victory over you, not ultimate victory, that resurrection will prevail. So pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I want to be one with you. I can't do that on my own, but here I come to you based on what you've done on my behalf, based on the provision that you've made. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you promised that I would be saved. I'm doing that now as best I know how. I'm calling upon you, God, and asking you to move in my life for you to cleanse me. I can't do it myself. I'm asking you to do it, to reach down your hand and save me. Pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, then you are now joined to the Lord. Please contact us so we can send you information so you can learn and continue to tune into our program and things that are listed on our website. We'd love to be in contact with you and help you in any way we can.